1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun, yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the Filaleo fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: For everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record videos. Then we discovered ZenCaster. ZenCaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distributed to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform, and now having guests on is. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record and publish an episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording a both without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to zencaster.com/pricing and use our code VGA. You'll get 30% off your first 3 months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs it's time to share your story
1: Game is Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris
0: and this is Anthony
1: and this is episode 393, First 50 Game Reviews Look Back. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode that we look back at.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in nine years.
1: (laughs) Nine years of looking back. Well, at least the first 50 look back so we have a super special packed episode you've all been asking us to talk about some of the older games that we've played and got to the table and obviously our entire board gamers anonymous catalog all those episodes are up and available for you but we thought that why not let's take the time do a super episode about the first 50 games that we reviewed And let you all know where we are still at with those. Do we play them? We don't play them. Do we keep them? Do we get rid of them? Do we hate them? Do we love them? All those kind of fun things that happen after nine years of of owning a gigantic collection and getting those to the table.
0: Yeah, it's always fun to do this. We do it. Well, we don't do it on the podcast very often, but we have these conversations like off air all the time. (laughs) And we're like, well, why don't we record that? It's interesting to talk about the stuff (laughs) we were playing nine, ten years ago at this point. And that we were recording episodes about and reviewing. And, you know, we have these giant collections of hundreds of games now. Are these games even in the collections anymore? Do we still play them? What do we use them for? So here you go. We're doing it now.
1: Yeah, and especially those, these 50 and probably a couple of more beyond this. When we first started the podcast, the episodes were primarily games that we were featuring where we did a like a whole walkthrough, we reviewed the mechanics, we talked about, it, we broke it down like subatomic. <laughs> right. We don't do we don't do that as much anymore because I think now that there's been so much information out there about the board games, you're seeing a lot more information long before the games hit the table. So we don't need the full super detailed deep dive, although it's there. So you can go back to those older episodes. But I think it's a good opportunity for us to look back. Check in and see where we're at with all these great games. All right, Anthony. So we got 50 or we'll see. (laughs) Whatever we could squeeze into the time and then whatever is left, we'll come back and we'll take a look at those other games. But I think this is a fun time. And a lot of these games were like the biggest games of that time. So it's going to be fun to see if they're still the biggest games to this day.
0: Right. Yeah. So Spoiler. A handful of them are, most of them
1: are. <gasps> so. Dude, spoiler!
0: Yeah, spoiler, not so much.
1: Aw, well, we tried.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, Anthony, so why don't you lead us off on our feature? We've got Way Back When.
0: All right, so we're going to start with episode one. What? I guess that's one. The one. We started, right? <laughs> uh, I think so. Uh, all right, so the main review on that one, a feature review, because, again, we used to do this. Uh, mm mm-hmm. Was Lords of Waterdeep Scoundrels of Skullport, Ooh. which we had played Lords of Waterdeep several times. The first time oh, yeah. I played Lords of Waterdeep, we started playing it at some stupid time, like 10 30 at night. <laughs> and like two of us had never played before, and the game just kept going. And eventually we decided to put it away and I had work the next morning. And it was it wasn't a great time, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. But uh, the game grew on me and the expansion was we were very, very hyped about this at the time. Yes. I remember that. Like it was a very long review. I think we talked for like 45 minutes about this mm. expansion, not even a full game, the expansion. We talked about almost an hour for
1: sure. I mean, again, it's if you've not played the game before it's dungeons and dragons in water deep. So there's a lot of intrigue and hidden Lords that are kind of pulling strings, but primarily what it is, is a work of placement game, but it's got all the dungeons and dragons trapping to it. It was a beautiful production It had a lot of different modules with the expansion that came in. And the expansion is essential in in my feelings because, again, it's one of those situations where it really plays really well into the theme. the, The Hidden Lords, as far as what you score points. It took me forever to buy this because everyone owned it and we played it so often. I eventually did buy the base game and then much, much, much later bought the expansion when they both were on sale. Because I'm like, I played this? I own it now. It's still sealed because I play it everywhere else because it's kind of like the throwback safety kind of game where you don't know what you want to play or you only have a short amount of time. Lords of Waterdeep, especially with the expansion, this this fits the bill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, next one up. And I, I'm with you on that one. I still have it on my shelf. I've not played in a while, but it's still on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, episode two, we talked about Crossmaster Arena. Ooh. Which <laughs> this is not actually a game I have ever played because okay. I was not among the people who participated in this review. Uh, <laughs> but I had lots of comments on the, the miniatures and the three-dimensional terrain that was a pain in the sure. butt build. Uh, but I never played it. Did you actually play it?
1: I did. I played this a lot. And it was, again, it was the, the super hip game of the moment. And I don't know if it was a, a Kickstarter at the time. I think it was a Kickstarter at the time. And it was just big because it had all the 3D terrain and it was a tactical skirmish game with these really cute chibi miniatures. This was back in the day when, when when having those chibi miniatures was a rarity. So it was like, oh, I like skirmish games. Oh, it's not, you know, your traditional IP kind of stuff. I want to play this. And we played it and it was fine. And then I never bought it because, again, when I think when it came out, it was several hundred dollars, the first edition. I did pick up the second edition, at least a good chunk of it, at an auction when it was on like sale. And I think someone picked it up and was like, "Oh, this looks adorable." And they looked inside and was like, "Oh, tactical skirmish game. Yeah, not so much." So, I do own the second edition of this, but it has not seen table time for whatever reason. I mean, I think there's at this point there's so many tactical skirmish games with little cute miniatures that, you know, Funko kind of just ate up that market. So, I still have it. I might trade it away or sell it or maybe hold on to it just for nostalgia's sake. But yeah, it was a decent game. And it was the big game at the time. I think it was several hundred dollars. So uh, yeah, Crossmare Arena.
0: Yeah. Uh, right. In episode three, we focused on Game of Thrones, the card game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the Fantasy Flight living card game of Game of Thrones. This was the big LCG at the time.
1: It was, uh, yeah
0: the lord of the rings card game had just launched and it was big and people liked it but it was considered like a solo co-op thing this was competitive and had a big market i don't think netrunner had launched yet and I, we loved it we played it a bunch the first mm-hmm. edition of this we played it constantly period mm-hmm. we played it at my house we, mm-hmm. I famously spoiled a very important part of the game of thrones tv <laughs> yes, series were very angry at me over the over the game of this um and then they released the second edition. I got rid of my first edition. I think I gave it to you. Mm-hmm. And I have not played it since. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't even know why. Something mm-hmm. changed about it. I don't know if it was they streamlined it or it was they were trying to like revamp the competitive element of it or whatever it was. It just wasn't as cohesive or attractive to me as a casual gamer, to sit down and play this game uh, with the second edition when it came out. I still have the cards. They're in the basement. But I have not touched them since like a month after Gen Con when they released it.
1: Yeah, this was really new and interesting as an LCG because up until this point, CCGs kind of ruled this general genre. So if you did want to play a competitive card-based game, you know, one versus one or two versus two or whatever the combination happened to be, That was impossible, really, unless you were into Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon or something like that. So when this came out, this was revolutionary, and Game of Thrones was so big. And again, it had really nice pieces to it, and it just had some variable kind of setup and and a little bit of deck building to it. And then there was an endless number of expansion packs to it. So this was fun. This was a game that did not take all the rules learning. It had a lot of interesting, cool keywords. It was very thematic to it. I haven't come back to this. I remember when the first edition went out of style, when the second edition came in, people were dumping their collections. They were up for like, you can get everything for like $300 or whatever it was at the time. And I was just like, well, that's really sad because that was a really good game. And sometimes, yes, you want to bring out the second edition to attract new people. But also when you do that, all the people who have the first edition feel like they can't play it anymore. And that's some cases true with the organized play. And then they drop it and then no one comes back to it. So... I never picked up the second edition. I could see myself doing it because I think it's probably a better version of it because it it has a lot more and the rules are a lot more streamlined. But yeah, still a very good game. Um, Sorry, it dropped out of favor.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next up, War Machine High Command. Mm -hmm. This was an attempt to bring the War Machine world into a card game. At the time, there was a Warhammer LCG Mm -hmm. that Fantasy Flight was developing. They dropped it a couple years later, Mm -hmm. but this was an attempt to build something similar. Um, and there was multiple versions of this. Like, we played the high-command version. That's what we reviewed. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because I don't remember exactly where I landed on this. I think I was very much in the middle, and some of us really liked it, and some of us didn't. Mm-hmm. But I think we all generally soured on it after yeah. our initial review. And at a certain point, eventually, we're like, wow, this is actually terrible. <laughs> and then you can find the, the game for $5. And yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's quite, quite a shame. And it's really... Um terribly unfortunate that that's what came of it.
0: All right. Uh, next up, we have Nothing Personal. This one was the the Tom Vassell game. We'll just call it that. Like, this was his game. He put his name on the box. Um, He's working on it with uh, another designer. And it was, you were mobsters. You were stabbing each other in the back. And, you know, the thing about this game is, I found it enjoyable from a, a very just pure gameplay perspective, but we made the mistake of playing it at Myriad a couple times we played it. <laughs> a lot of people got super angry. It took everything very personal. The name of the game is nothing personal. Don't take it personal. Uh, it's, I don't know. The game became hard to find. I never had a copy. It wasn't mine that we played. Sure. Um, but it is a game that if like I had the right group for, I would probably go back to because I did find it enjoyable, mm-hmm. but I haven't played it again since probably the year we played it the first time.
1: I got a copy of this at an auction. I was glad I did. This was a, you know, Tom Vassell release, I think along with somebody else. It was a very rich, you know, everything was nice and high quality back in the day when you didn't really get nice quality pieces. And it was very much a, as you said, Anthony, very much like you're just kind of rising to your top, but eventually you'll be screwing everyone else as, as the kind of game goes on. Which is a little troublesome at the at the table. Yeah. I think my copy might still be in shrink, which is a, and again, like you said, Anthony, it might be a little bit of a, a sad statement. I believe they came out with a second edition, yeah, which yeah. might have sharpened, and I think it came. In, I think there was an expansion that you could pick up as well. But I think at that point, people had moved on from the game completely. So, um, yeah, still still a good game, but yeah, the second edition again came out, and I don't think it landed as as well as the first edition did.
0: No, no. It, it's a hard game. Any game like that where you're stabbing each other so much, you really need a specific group. And there are other bigger, better games that do that.
1: Yes, absolutely. All right.
0: Next up is a game that is on my top 100. Is it my <laughs> 10, I think? I think it's sure. my top 100. It's number nine, I think. Uh, Spirium. This game, I think, might be the first game we played as, as a podcast where I was like, yes, this is now one of my favorite games. I love mm-hmm. it. Okay. A lot of the other games we played, I'm like, this is very good. I, very, I enjoy this. Some of them were on my top 100, but they kind of faded away. But Spirium is still there. Sure. Uh, when I was still in Pittsburgh, like the last couple months before I moved, several of my friends discovered Spirium. They all got cheap copies somewhere on eBay or something. And they were like, oh, I want to play this game. And I was like, 1 million percent. I will teach it. I will <laughs> play it anytime you want. We got like five plays of it in before I moved. And I was like, I love this game. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Spirium is still one of my favorites. It Needed an expansion. It still does. It's probably never going to happen because it's almost 10 years old. But still, like from William Adia, designer of Kalis, I consider it one of the best games ever. I wish it had a little bit more to it, but I still really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I remember liking this game a lot when it came out. It had a production that was of its time. And like you said, it needed an expansion because the final cards were always going to come out so you yeah. basically if you knew the game you knew what cards were coming out you knew what to build towards it just needed a little more variety added to it it didn't even need a full expansion just maybe a little card pack or something like to it yeah but still a very good game and you know I, if you can find it you should get it and you should play it i still recommend this game
0: yeah it's still relative i think they overproduced it and it was cheap mm-hmm. like, it was can you imagine a euro game with two hours of mechanics for 35 dollars yeah how sure. did this not sell better come
1: on The production, I mean, the artwork was very good. The production was a little less. But like I said, it was of the time, more or less. Like, I think that was the changing, you know, where where games were starting. Like, we talked about Lords of Waterdeep. Like, that's a pretty amazing production versus, like, Spirium.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's on the list soon for a a Kickstarter upgrade. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. Next up is a game that uh, I highly disliked. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't remember my final rating. I don't burn much anything. So I probably just gave it a dodge, but Bruges was not a game I enjoyed at all. Um, so I'll let you talk about it. Cause I know you like it.
1: Feld. It's our boy Feld. Yeah. I, you know, he Feld? Uh, Bruges is one of my fa- <laughs> Bruges. Bruges is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, the expansion makes it so much better because now the other, I think it's the threes and fours actually do something. It's the idea of multi-use cards that you get to put into play it. i love my copy still hold on to my copy even though there's I'm, i think i kick-started the revision of it i'm not getting rid of Bruges. and if you like the multi-use card kind of mechanic and a feld kind of flavor to it that's great the expansion went out of print pretty quickly but this is one of my if not my favorite felds
0: yeah i also backed hamburg um Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't have, but I did. So I'll <laughs> play it. I've never played with the expansion, so I will play it with the new stuff. It's better with the expansion. Yeah, maybe I'll change my mind.
1: All right, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up, Bioshock Infinite: The Siege of Columbia.
1: Mm. This was
0: this was a weird one because at the time it was very exciting because it was Plaid Hat Games. Yes, they got the license for Bioshock Infinite, which had just come out mm-hmm. like earlier that year or the year before, um, which was a really really big game of the year video game, and. This game, you know, coming from Planhat, who had made Summoner Wars, which we loved. We did not, like, formally cover it on the podcast, but we loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mice and Mystics, which is coming up in, you know, here in a little bit. And I I can't remember where we landed on this. I think we really talked ourselves into liking it a lot. At least I did. Um, <laughs> but I went back to this game, I think, two years later in 2015, like, right before I moved to Pittsburgh, and it d- didn't hold up. Mm. <laughs> just like the video game doesn't really hold up as much as you think it did. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a theming thing or if it was like a of the moment or we just had a mania around it, but I've not played this game since I didn't really enjoy it. And I, I sold my copy.
1: Yeah. I think again, just like the game, I'm, I had a lot of promise to it. And I think plat had did whatever they could to make a game out of the video game. If you ever play the video game, it's a first person shooter and it's, It's got a really interesting story. I mean, just the story alone and definitely some of the gameplay, it is certainly worth playing the video game. It was supposed to get a lot more gameplay to it, and it was never added for many, many reasons. You could take a look at that in a a whole separate thing. The game itself is interesting because the two main characters are on the run. So when you play the game, you're assuming that you're going to be playing, just like the video game, one or both of the two characters, right. but you're really not. You're playing the two different factions.
0: Yeah, you play the bad guys.
1: You play the bad, and it's also right. weird. Remember the zip lines?
0: Yeah, you're zipping all over as bad guys.
1: Yeah, and yes. the zip lines. It was the the combat was difficult because the only way to travel between the spots with the zip lines and like you could get attacked or something. Like I remember it was it was wonky as far as that was concerned, and I think inevitably it was on sale like they were just dumping the copies because it just people had the expectation of playing the main characters in the story and you weren't the main characters were in the game but they were like just an npc throughout the game so uh, nobody the the factions weren't really that built up i mean they are there in the game but eh. yeah it's two-player game i guess weird weird Nice attempt, but weird. So yeah, it's yeah.
0: a weird game. It's, it's definitely a relic of the time. I, yes, I've not seen or heard from this game in nearly a decade. Yep. All right. Next up, we have a game that definitely survived: a decade, <laughs> Suburbia. Yes. It's another game that's in my top ten of all time, and I spent what two, three hundred dollars on a deluxe edition of it <laughs> that I have gotten to the table exactly once as a solo game. So definitely worth all those twenty boards I bought.
1: <laughs> um, but you got every it, color now
0: yeah no it's oh, man why did i do that uh it's it's bezier games best game though it's suburbia it's it's about building up a city it's one of my favorite themes in gaming is building a city mm-hmm. and very few board games do it well suburbia does it the best and it has for 10 years now so uh it it is an all-time favorite i do wish i had a smaller box of it so i could carry it around with me sure
1: but
0: i still own it and i still try to get it played occasionally
1: yeah, economic euro with tile placement. So based on how you drop the tiles, things things benefit off each other. It is it still remains one of the best games of that ilk that's ever been created, in my opinion. I, I have the video game on the app. I play that I played it recently, surprisingly enough. I was like, oh, this is still good. I didn't back the super deluxe version, which I do regret because I do love the game so much, but I also purchased and had everything else from the previous game and expansions. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I, you know, in another world I would have I would have certainly done that. And it would have certainly been worth it. But uh yeah, this is a game that remains relevant and I think will be a modern day classic ten years from now for sure.
0: Yep. All right. Next up, uh a Canterbury. Mm. Number
1: 10.
0: <laughs> this was my first Kickstarter. So that's a place in my heart. From our friend Andrew Parks, who is much better known for his work on games like star trek attack wing mm-hmm. um, even his own game core worlds mm-hmm. uh, he worked on star trek frontiers like the star trek stuff he did a lot of star trek stuff yep um but canterbury was one of his own personal productions he put it up on kickstarter it barely funded i was very mm-hmm. excited about it we drove all the way to new jersey <laughs> we went to like his mom's bar yes we got a, the chance to play the game i still have my original copy with his mm-hmm. signature on it it's, it's very beaten up at this point mm. And I have not played this game since Myriad Games. Yeah. I think we played it three or four times together. We played it there. We played it at Myriad. Played it in my basement maybe one more time. And I enjoyed it. It's it's very much a spreadsheet game. where place <laughs> All these little cubes out to represent different combinations of things you've done. And there's a yeah. an actual chart they give you to calculate points. But it it's good. I, 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 I say it's good. I remember really enjoying it. I haven't played it in almost 10 years. But sure uh it holds a special place in my heart and i keep holding on to it because it was that first kickstarter game just sure. like a weird thing to be sentimental over but no we have 200 <laughs> plus back to kickstarters you're like this was one of the good ones i guess so.
1: yeah it, it was i think at the time and we might have even called it or it, it was spreadsheet the board game yeah and the, i mean the downside to it was it it was again of its time where it was just a very thin board with cubes on it and i remember that was the first major game that i that i just kind of feared playing at the table because you bump the table you're done yeah. There's just there's no going back at that point so and i remember it being very simple like basically there's like three actions like it's like build or tax or tax and build or something like that yeah it was very simple kind of you know gameplay there yeah, this was a it was a, a nice production, but again, this would never fly today. Like nope. there would be dual layer boards and also spreadsheet the board game. Like people will take play dry games, but this was pretty dry. But yeah, was, I remember enjoying yeah. it at the time, so Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it wouldn't hold it up at all. But uh it's a memory. I hold it as a memory. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Alright, next up, we have two games that we talked about in episode 11. uh, Mm -hmm. Star Trek Attack Wing and Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures. Mm -hmm. These were games that came out within a year of each other, originally. Mm -hmm. And Attack Wing was brand new at the time, so we were reviewing that, but we were reviewing (laughs) it in comparison to X-Wing, which had come out the year before. Sure. Uh, Both of these are based on the same flight path system. They just have different IPs attached to them uh, with some additional mechanics, which I'll let you speak to, because I really never played Attack Wing.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the primary difference between the two games is the Attack Wing has Star Trek, what we call capital ships, the giant ships, whereas X-Wing Miniatures game had a lot of the snub fighters, a lot of the small, like, I, for lack of a better term, like a little individual plane, a little, little tiny single person fighter. So X-Wing Miniatures game was a lot of loop-de-loop, you know, and... Basically, if you, picked a, if you picked a ship, it came with a character. It came with pretty much, not completely, but pretty much the whole setup. Attack Wing was better because you put a whole crew in there, and the crew could do a whole bunch of different things, and you could swap the crew between different races and stuff. And that was a lot of fun. And at the time, there was the organized play event for Attack Wing, which was DS9-based, which, huge fan. That's my Star Trek. And loved it. The organized play event was is an amazing experience, winning, you know, I guess, limited edition ships and cards and every week you get little bonuses and things like that. And there was the big prize at the end that I won. But, you know, they're both very good and they have since got a lot of different upgrades and resets and reboots and a lot of different pieces to it. At some point for me personally, the miniatures just, it just became too much. I own a good chunk, at least that early first, second kind of wave. And then a a few other stuff for... Both for X Wing Miniatures and for Star Trek Attack Wing, but it has not come back to the table. It's nicely tucked away. It may come back to the table at some point if I have the space just to leave it out, but it's not that kind of game where someone's ever asking to put that on the table because you have to know the game. There's no there's no way of putting that the game and just spending five minutes to like let people know the rules. Like you have to know the cards. It's a lot of a lot of stuff on that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I own a bunch of X Wing stuff. It's in my mm-hmm. basement. Um I always thought that I'd I'd get it out and play it when my kids got older. My son Mm -hmm. is now older. He's at the age we could play this, and he's not interested. So I'm like, all right, they will stay on my shelf.
1: (laughs) It's a very very good system. Both games are still around. I mean, Star Trek Armada kind of took the place of X-Wing, and that became somewhat of the bigger game, but also that struggled itself as well. That was the capital ships, but from the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. And again, Attack Wing has had multiple iterations of it, but I, I see more people playing star trek ascendancy than they are attack wing
0: yeah all right uh next up we have the next Stefan Feld game we reviewed amerigo this was brand new at the time mm-hmm. we played a copy someone that we knew at the store had gotten in from kickstarter mm-hmm. and we got like immediately we got to play it right away with all even all the extra little queenie bits <laughs> um, and i remember playing this three or four times almost successively you know we played it originally mm-hmm. then i we actually i brought my wife's cousin he was like 16 at the time and he <laughs> did it with us he was very overwhelmed but it was fun um played it a couple more times uh i eventually tracked down a copy of this because i enjoyed it so much uh it's a, again another one of those games that like, just jumped out at me originally sure. immediately of like this is great cube um, sure. tower and the exploration element in retrospect obviously games about you know actually exploring and exploiting and destroying <laughs> real world locations that had humans already living there. Not so great. But mechanically, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, mechanically, it's it's one of the best games for me. It's like one or two in the Feld kind of collection. The cube tower is such an interesting mechanic if you've never played with that before. Basically, there's a whole bunch of different cubes of whatever colors they happen to be. You drop them down the tower, and then a bunch get held up by some of these scaffolding as it goes down. So not everything comes out. And then based on what comes out, it tells you the strength of those actions that you can take. And then as the game goes on, you keep throwing the cubes back in and it also knocks off other cubes. So it's such an interesting idea. And I know it's not the first time it's ever been used, of course, but it's such an interesting idea for a Euro game because it allows you to have choices of actions at different strengths based upon the randomness of the tower. Mm -hmm. And then there was this kind of puzzle, jigsaw puzzle kind of map that you can explore and build up on so this is also another Feld game that got a city reinvention because of problematic theming. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. Is that Marrakesh, I believe?
0: I don't remember. I think it's Marrakesh. I don't I remember it's... which one that is. Yeah, I think it's one um, of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did not back it, so I guess I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it's too expensive, stupid Kickstarter. <laughs> All right. Uh, another game that was a retheming of sorts at mm-hmm. the time, Star Trek Catan. We talked about this in episode 14 this was the Star Trek and original series reimplementation of Catan. Now, they've done a few other reimplementations of Catan over the years. Uh, a few? A few, <laughs> yeah. Uh, surprisingly fewer than you would think, considering what they've done with the Pandemic at this point. Mm. Um, but this was, I think, the best one. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it at the time. I went and bought a copy, and I don't even love Catan. Mm. But I really liked how it did Star Trek. And it implemented all these different elements of it. You had the little miniatures of of the different ships. You have individual player powers based on which character you're playing as. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know where my copy is anymore. I don't remember getting rid of it. So I think I have it still, but I have not played it in a while because again, it's Catan. Yeah, play a lot of Catan. It's it's just it's just not my favorite game.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: if I'm going to play Catan, this is probably the version I would want to play.
1: Yeah, it's actually a good version. Like you said, they had the individual player powers where you could pick out a player, gain the power, put it back into the row, and then pick up new powers as the game went on. So that was interesting. The pieces were obviously a lot better. They had these little plastic space stations and enterprises to kind of instead of the roads and, and the cities. And then there was the expansion that had the, I guess it was the frontier map where basically it had the actual Star Trek universe kind of laid out. So instead of being stuck to the Catan type of board, you actually were able to build out on this whole map, which really brought it to the next level. I own this. I own the expansion. It got so little game time, I can't even begin to tell you. I don't even know why that is. Like you said, it's a weird... It's the best version of Catan that I've played, but also at the same time, it's Catan and Star Trek. So like the Venn diagram of getting people to play those things is, is a little odd, to say the least.
0: Yeah, yeah that, that was the challenge. Um, all right, next up we had Bootleggers. This was a game that had been out of print for a long time. And like one of us had heard about it through the grapevine of something, probably another podcast. And it became available and we got it and we played it. And I remember being like, okay, that's a game. And then we moved on. So I we I played it personally for review. This was a game in which you had little trucks that carried around <laughs> barrels of, of whiskey that you were bootlegging. Yes. And maybe that was it. Maybe we just liked the toy factor. I don't know. That
1: was... Yeah, I, I think it was the idea of like, hey, it's kind of a Euro, but also it's kind of like a naughty theme a little bit. And like you said, the toy factor was very large on it. And again, you have to remember back nine years ago, that was novel at the time. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this was fine, but this was something that we never came back to. I never picked up a copy of it and never missed it.
0: No. Uh, yeah, no, same. Uh, speaking of games that we kind of ignored immediately after playing for review, <laughs> Relic Runners in uh, episode 17. Yes. This was, it was Days of Wonder, so we it were was. very excited. New Days of Wonder game! And then we played it, and uh Daniel, mm-hmm. who was fresh to the show at that point, promptly broke the game. <laughs> immediately broke the game. You figured did. it out, solved it in like 10 minutes. i we're like, ah, oh, yeah, this isn't very good. And then we moved <laughs> on. <gone. laughs>
1: Yeah, it was this weird game where like we, like it's relic runners. So you're trying to pick these relics up, but primarily the game is laying down these like little roads or little trails. And it's just like it's yeah, it's it's the beginning of the end. Oh, it's probably I shouldn't say that's terrible to say, but like it was the beginning of like Days of Wonder just like hitting home runs. It was like and here's a bunt and you're like, oh, Days of Wonder, you're so much better than this.
0: I, honestly, I, I think you're right. It might have been like beginning of the end type of thing. Like there was, I would say two good games that came out after that. If you're mm. not counting expansions. to Sure.
1: Which you're not. Uh, yeah.
0: Get the ride. Like we had Quadropolis, which I love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Five Tribes, of course, which is amazing. Mm. Um, mm. Maybe Yamatai too, but that one's a tough one because mm. it, sure. it away pretty quickly. But yeah, Relic Runners didn't work. <laughs> didn't enjoy that. Uh, next up, we had Robinson Crusoe: Adventures at the Cursed Isle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played this, and so here's this. Here's the thing with this one: <laughs> we were loaned a copy of this game. Yes, we couldn't find it. It was out of no. print. It's hard to mm-hmm. find because Z-Man they only print like a thousand copies of anything, and it was quite literally nearly impossible to learn how to play. I like I took it home because I was the rules learner at that point. Mm-hmm. And I read through that rulebook two, maybe three times. I tried to play it solo. I tried to play it multi-handed. It wasn't really working. So when I brought it in and we played it together, we made many errors because it is one of the worst rulebooks ever written. The first mm. edition and Crusoe rulebook. It's just absolutely terrible. But I think we were new enough to the hobby at that point. This was like within nine, six, nine months. I don't know that I realized how bad the rulebook was. right? Sure. So the review... It's still good because it does a lot of good things. Like it has that mechanic of you draw a card, it does something, you put it back into the deck, it comes back later, it does something else. Um, It's a very challenging cooperative game. There's a lot of interesting things going on, like the survival element of it. It's it's much more thematic and story-based than like Pandemic, which I don't think any of us loved, loved. Hmm. So it was amazing as a cooperative game, but man, it was a headache to get through. Um, and then our review, we recorded live at Myriad, which was oh my God. also a little bit of a mess. If you listen back to it, it's still there. You can hear it. It's, it's a bit of a mess. But um, I still have my I have second edition now. I, I never got the first edition. I have the mm. second edition of this game. I do love it. I have played it recently. It is an amazing game. It's just Trevicek and Portal have put a lot of barriers in the way to enjoying it <laughs> that they've slowly removed over time.
1: I remember two things about this game. One, obviously that it was scenario based and you just had to meet the, you know, the mission conditions of that scenario, which was fun because it was different. But also at the same time, the problem with that was that when you got the game and you mentioned like the rule book being so bad, it it gave you like all the pieces in the box. So sometimes you didn't even know what you were playing with. So it, it, it had a large setup time. And that was kind of rough because yeah. at the time it's like, oh, I want to play this game. It's like, sure, let's see what scenario. Let's see what pieces that we need to play with this. Let's see what how those pieces work. And I was like, ah, oh, geez, this is a thing. The thing I did like, you as you mentioned, Anthony, the cards that, you know, like, you got bitten by a spider. You know, stick the card back and see what happens later. Yeah. <laughs> but it also had that mechanic where instead of, you could roll the dice to see if you could succeed. Or I think you, you paid an action or something. Like, basically, you took a loss to ensure that the that the outcome was positive. And I thought that was an interesting thing too. Like if you really needed to do something, you could, but it would cost you, I don't know, was it time or something else? So that was a, that was a cool idea. I remember seeing like the second edition and other things. And I was like, Oh, this seems still very cool. I wanted, and then I just kind of flashed back to that rule book and the setup and everything. And I'm just like, can't, Nope. Can't just can't do yeah. it.
0: It's, it's fixed a little bit now. Cause they have Rodney Smith make their rule book videos. <laughs> And his videos are amazing, and you can learn the game that way. Sure. Uh, the challenge comes in when you get to, like, scenario number seven or, like, the promo scenarios, and sometimes it's just not clear what you're supposed to do. Sure. And you got to wait until enough people have played it and figured it out. But <laughs> we'll see how it goes with that very expensive Kickstarter. Oof, yeah. That was dumb. Um, all right. Next up, we had a our very first Versus episode. We didn't even call it that. That's how early it was. Caverna and Agricola. Mm. so this was caverna had just come out like it was mm-hmm. brand new and didn't we have some we had earl read the rules right we had someone else go through it and kind of we were all prepared because you all had played agricola a bunch of times and we're like all right we're gonna play caverna we're gonna get this played and you know i was not of the mind for any of it because i didn't enjoy agricola very much sure um, and so we're comparing these two games that I was not super involved in this conversation, if I recall, because I just didn't really enjoy Caverna or Agricola at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember later the following year, um, Daniel and Drew and you and I played Caverna. I was like, oh, this is actually great.
1: <laughs>
0: Why didn't I play it when we first got it in? I completely ignored it.
1: Sure. Uh, I- I- I think I did the. I think I did the walkthrough review for the episode. I think that was also at the game store, mm. which was also really challenging. And Caverna has a lot of rules, and I believe it was my copy because I remember paying. I think it was ninety dollars at the time, which was a lot at the time, yeah, crazy amounts of money. And it's still kind of a lot of money, but also it's a very good game. And I think, as you mentioned, you mentioned and remember correctly, I think we played it at my place, and you need a lot of space because it's a it's a lot of boards. And all of the different tiles come out. So it's a standard worker placement game, but unlike Agricola, which utilizes cards for special effects, this actually has room tiles or field tiles that you can kind of purchase and then place on your player board. But everything's in front of you. So you really have to take a look at it. And again, Caverna is a lot more forgiving where Agricola will punish you. (laughs) So uh, this is still a favorite game. Uh, Obviously, the expansion that came out for this was very good. It kind of gave you that individual, unique player powers. And I think they just announced another expansion with, like, fiends or something. Like, there's supposed to be, like, some negative kind of monsters that come into play. So uh, still a very good game. This is another game that I'm predicting, just like Suburbia, that will be around 10 years and still considered a classic.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the pinnacle of his worker placement games. And I say that with some caveat, because I really think Fields of Arl is the best, but Fields of Arl is very limited in who can play it, because it's a two or three player game if you have the expansion. Sure. And that expansion sometimes out of print. So yeah, Converne mm-hmm. is the way to go. Yep. Uh, Terra Mystica was our episode 22 review. And mm-hmm. this was this was a game where Dan came over. He's like, I want to play Terra Mystica. I sat down and I played two players with him, which this game is not great at two. Now, you know, 10 years later, I know that. And it clicked for me immediately. I love the puzzle of it. I love the multiple things that I was trying to do. I love the map element of it. Like, it's a messy game in some ways, but it's also an elegant game in other ways. And now that I've played it probably 50 times, I can see that it's not very well balanced. It's the cult track is kind of tacked on, it doesn't really need to be there. You can kind of see what's wrong with the game by just looking at Gaia Project, which is a sci-fi re-implementation that removes some of those things that don't work and balances the the factions a little bit better. But I still really, really enjoy Terra Mystica. Uh, It's been around forever. People still love it. You can get it online. You can play it on your iPad. You can play it on Board Game Arena. There's Gaia Project if you want a space version that's better balanced. Um, There's multiple expansions for this. And there's Terra Nova that's coming out next month, which is a lighter, more accessible version of this. We have not played, so we can't say if it works. But I am looking forward to that. Uh, Yeah, I still have this. I, for whatever reason, I still have this, even though I like Gaia Project better. Uh, It's just, it's that good of a game.
1: I played it a lot. I think it's fine, and that's pretty much how I feel about it. It certainly should be a game that I should run out and purchase, but for some reason. It just never, it just never landed for me. I, I remember after the fact looking, you know, at Board Game Geek, and there's just so many people invested in it, and like the whole idea of like opening moves, like almost like chess calculations, precision, percentages, and things like that, which I think is amazing, and I really appreciate that of that community. I don't know, it just again, it was just never a game. Maybe it was the Magic Bowls or something like that. <laughs> it's still a good game. It's just just never really fully landed with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all have those games. Like for me it's Bruges and Agricola where people are like, How come mm-hmm. you not like those? Like, I don't know, just don't. <laughs> all right. Uh next up we have Battle Lore, second edition. This is the they they brought Battlelore back. We were so excited. are like, oh my gosh, it's in Terranoth. This is gonna be amazing. And it was. The game was really good. I gave this a buy. It was one of my sure. favorite games of that year, I think. And then it, it kinda died by like it came out around Christmas and by the next Christmas the game was dead already. So Fantasy Flight doing their thing. I still yeah, have, the, all, I own all of it. I love this game, but they never released all the content, which is dumb.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly dumb. And the, and they, I mean, this game benefits from having the elves, which I've said probably a billion times at this point. But the elves, the dwarves, all the other good races, because if you don't, then it, it becomes samey, and it's 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 an awful, terrible, sinful shame that this never really had the full flush release of it. I did pick up most of it. I did miss the initial Asmodee dump sale, which breaks my heart. And I think I purchased a bunch of it on Miniature Market and then they, somehow they lost stock or something. So I never got all of it, at least what was available. I have the app and everything else. It's Command & Colors, but with you know fantasy and some extras thrown into it. Uh, still a great game. Will be forgotten, unfortunately, but still one of the best. If, I mean, again, for me personally, just because of the extras and because of the characters... Probably the best uh, command and color system game for me personally.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, next up, episode twenty four, we talked about Quantum. This <laughs> is designed by Eric Zimmerman, and it's a area control ish game with d sixes that takes mm-hmm. place in you know grid that you build of different planets. Uh, it was a Kickstarter game, an early one from Fun forage of Takedo and Takanoko fame, mm-hmm. and it. It was great. I remember really enjoying this game, and then it went out of print, and it was really hard to find. Mm-hmm. And it's still out of print, which is dumb. <laughs> it's a good game. I think it will come back though because it's on Board Game Arena. It's fairly popular from what I've heard on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. So I think that alone, and because Asmodee owns the license for this, they might see that and be like, "Oh, maybe we should bring this game back." Um, but it had great artwork. It had just a nice table presence it was relatively straightforward and fun to play but nice and asymmetrical and the dice made every game a little bit different it was a good one
1: you forgot the one thing about the game
0: the sticky dice
1: the sticky dice yeah i, I backed the kickstarter i own it I'm. i still love the game i did play it on board game arena and initially the dice were sticky weirdly chemically sticky they did some out replacements but that was the weird thing about those games was it just had the sticky dice and i never before after never saw sticky dice again but they had sticky dice but yeah it was again it was a small i guess depending on how you look at it it it's like 4x tactical kind of squadron kind of game where the dice the the pips on the dice represented different kind of ships and It's a great game. It's just like you said, Anthony, if it ever got a full reboot, you know, a Kickstarter or an upgrade or something like that, that didn't have the sticky dice, I think it would blow up again. But I think it's going to get forgotten because, again, we're dealing with days of just like endless, beautiful, gorgeous miniatures. So I don't know if they bring this game out. I don't know how they would bring this game out where it doesn't have miniatures. and has just D6s. So still a great game. Still own it. Still love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I wish they would reprint it. Whoever has a license, which again, I think is Asmodee. So they should Mm. just do that. (laughs) Uh, All right. Next up, we had Myth, episode 27. I picked this up at Axe East back in 2014. Um, It was like my one, like I wandered around that space for three days and I was like, I have to buy one really big expensive thing. And this was the big expensive thing I bought. And meh. (laughs) It was meh.
1: It was meh, my (laughs) Um, friend
0: yeah it, it, here's the thing the rule book was terrible it was actually impossible to learn the game so mm-hmm. we we stumbled our way through it we tried to make it work and it you know we had some fun with it but it just didn't work in the end and they knew that and they had to reprint it there was a 2.0 rule book which we eventually got we never really got that back to the table the game kind of died for them because of that they tried to launch other things like mercs and like expansions and standalones within the myth universe it just didn't work um there is a new, like, re-implementation of this coming next year, actually. Myth Dawn of Heroes. It's a cooperative game built, built in this universe. Don't know a ton about it yet. But uh, the original version of the game was unfortunately just hamstrung by A, when it came out, and B, just how poorly the game was not produced, just, like, written, I guess. It was just so hard to learn
1: yeah, I don't remember too much about it, other than it just unfortunately was supposed to be the next coming of board games, and it was just okay.
0: Yeah. It didn't work. Nope. Uh, all right, in episode twenty eight we had Lewis and Clark the expedition. i was I was super excited about this game because I grew up in Seattle. We read about Lewis and Clark. It was part of my state and natural local history units. And so I was like, oh, they're making a game out of it. And then <laughs> the artwork, uh, Vincent Dutra, it was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And you know what? Mechanically speaking, the game is very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It's a race down the river. You have different mechanics to go through mountains and river spaces. Um, you have these worker placement elements where you're going out and you're interacting with you know the tribes that you run into along the way. You have actual characters and real people that existed along that trail. And it has like, all the historical information in the rule book. And then they went and made these stupid little red meeples.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just didn't need to do it. And you know what? Two years ago, second edition of the game, the meeples are still red. What are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, and it, like, historically, the game's not 100% accurate either. Like, Lewis and Clark were not these saints that discovered the West, but just... Little mistakes like that. And, you know, it's a French publisher and they don't know the history as well. So I, mm-hmm. I've come around on this game. Like, I really like the mechanics originally. I still own my copy. I have all the upgrades for it. I just wish they would actually fix it properly.
1: Yeah, it had that really interesting card mechanic where you had to pay for cards with other cards, which is always a yeah. cool kind of mechanic. You, you basically played two cards at the same time, if I remember correctly. And there was one of those rare Euro games that was a race game. So yeah. try to think of all the games that are Euro games, but you're racing each other. So it was like, you're racing over mountains. Now you're in water. So yeah, it was well done. The art was beautiful. There was that infamous kind of Sacagawea controversy at the time, how some cars were kind of like super overpowered. <laughs> but yeah, I would really wish they would get their act together because mechanically the game's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is a game I use in my class to show like, what not to do (laughs) don't do this red meeple because why and then the next game is a game i use in my class for the opposite reason sure freedom the underground railroad from episode 29 because it is a example of a historically accurate game that attempts to show and experience history and rather than you know boiling it down to its core components that are borderline racist so
1: (laughs) yeah So about America's troubled, terribly tragic, troubled, problematic, I don't even know what the right word is here, but Lewis and Clark, The Expedition, it gets it right. And again, this is always a surprising thing about board games. Oftentimes we're like, oh, it has some theme in it. It feels a little like it. It it has the characters and representation. When you play this game, and again, I highly recommend that you play this game when you play this game, you really do feel like you had lot you have lives in your hands. And it's again, it's a bunch of cubes and a bunch of symbols on a on a you know board. There's nothing really overly ornate or you know thematic about it. And yet at the same time, you feel the impact of it. This is certainly a game that if you ever want to convince somebody that board gaming is art, board gaming can evoke real emotions. It's this game.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I use this game in my class. I literally just put the components in front of them and I say, explore the components and tell me how you think this works. Mm -hmm. And it works like the conversation that comes out of that, just looking through the cards, looking through the rule book and they're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, so it does this and it does this like the the game is really well made. It's difficult to play, but it's really well made.
1: And unlike the red Native American meeples here, they just used just regular wood. Meeples because that's all you needed to do, bro. <laughs> Not to tell you like, that's it. I
0: don't need to be color coded in a racist way. Nope. come on. <laughs> what are you doing?
1: It's all good. <laughs> all right.
0: All right. Uh, moving on. Episode 31. We talked about mice and mystics. This is from Jerry Hawthorne and plan hat games. And it is a dungeon crawler with little mice going up against rats and spiders and caterpillars and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, you could download a audio clip that ran through all the narration in the book. It had multiple chapters. You went through it was like a storybook, uh, and multiple expansions came out over the years. But when this game originally came out, we sat down, we played it. I, th- I think we got through two or three chapters. We played multiple times actually, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was just mm-hmm. like, it's, like it's definitely more family oriented, but mm-hmm. production quality is so high it was Mm. balanced in such a way that anybody could play it
1: yeah this was a big hit for Plathead games this was a nice dungeon crawl but like you said it had the family kind of vibe to it and kind of lived up to anything i don't you know this much better than i do i haven't heard about this game in forever i haven't seen this game played anywhere or anyone talk about it in forever and it was the biggest game of the time
0: yeah i don't know what happened to it Uh, it's I mean, part of it is Plaid Hat was bought by Asmodee and, that and they
1: also it, produced a bunch of other like minded games and that yeah. they they just flopped immediately.
0: Yeah, it is still in print, though. So if Asmodee is still printing copies of the game, I have to imagine it, it sells well because they mm. don't they, they're pretty picky about what they actually bother to print.
1: Plathead didn't get this game back when they when they reestablished? It wasn't one of their... I don't believe
0: so. It's still listed in mm-hmm. the Z-Man store. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: And then remember they came out with that flight path system for Mice and Mystics yeah. with the birds? And that was like, it had like all this additional detail where they, where they could kind of like pivot and flip and stuff like that. And it was just like, that's amazing. And it's also way too complicated for the people that you brought in initially for the base game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that game was unfortunate. I have that mm-hmm. game. It's in my basement. It's very good. Mm-hmm. I played through it yeah. a couple times. Um, the kids we haven't gotten to it yet, but I uh, it's it was not the it's like a three point two weight game targeting families who had played uh, Mice and Mystics. And I'm like, well, you got to wait till the kids are like ten or eleven, then so, at least. And by then sure. they're like, eh, let's just do X Wing. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, pretty much.
0: Um, all right, number thirty two, episode thirty two. We talked about Russian railroads. Mm-hmm. was a brand new game at the time. And I loved it right off the bat. This was a pretty pure worker placement game. You had a central board. You placed out your workers and you were building out your own personal railroads. In retrospect, the game needed something additional. And we've gone over this a hundred times. We talk about German <laughs> Railroad expansion. It really makes the game a hundred times better. But when we did the review... I gave it like a glowing buy. I loved this game. I love the snowballing points. I love every part of that. But I know you were a little cooler on it, right?
1: Well, I mean, ironically or thematically, it runs on rails. So that was always the weird thing about it because there was always a best first move or again, it's a worker placement game. So this is always the best first spot. So maybe you want to take an engineer, always the best first spot or the extra workers. So like whatever the player order was, it was almost a given which spots you would go to because they have diminishing returns. So that was the only downside about the game. It's still an amazing game. I still like the game a lot. still have played the game since then multiple times online and in person. But yeah, German Railroads makes the game, just opens the game up and takes away that kind of problematic player order situation. And now obviously, this American Railroads was a small expansion, but Asian Railroads is huge. And it was a super expensive also re version of it so it didn't if you bought that you you have to buy all of it again which i just wasn't willing to do so i never was able to pick up german railroads because it's been super out of print forever at some point i will probably grab a copy of it and then be happy with russian and german and just call it a day asian's fine no problem with asian just a matter of like do you want to score six hundred thousand points <laughs> yeah. I don't want to calculate that. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The the, the ultimate railroads thing drives me crazy Mm because I have everything. I've paid for it. I -hmm. tracked it down. It was hard to find. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying I have to spend $150 to get the one expansion. Like I'm not Mm. doing it. You know what adds (laughs) my day? No, not doing it. (laughs) All right. uh, Episode 33, we talked about Marvel Dice Masters, Avengers versus X-Men. This was the hotness of hottest hotness at the time. It was collectible. It came in mm-hmm. booster packs. They were only a dollar, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think of now because they're probably not a dollar anymore. Mm-hmm. And we played it. I think I liked it, mm-hmm. but I didn't love it. And I mm-hmm. haven't played it since because it was like one of those things like I kept trying to track down the stuff and finally found it. And we finally got it to the table and we're like, oh, this is fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, they... The, I think if you listen back to that episode infamously that was the whole situation that i think their shipments just were not being delivered for whatever logistical reasons were occurring so like you could get a couple of like booster packs but you couldn't get the base game Mm -hmm. and then by the time the base game came around everyone had already moved on because you couldn't really play the game without the base the base set and then at that point they flooded the market like whatever they thought they were doing with the game like that was a supply chain nightmare situation. So then it flooded and it was like, nobody wanted to play it. And I think they, they produced, I don't know, at least half a dozen to a dozen different versions of this, which did fairly kind of okay. But this was supposed to be the new CCG. This was supposed to be the organized played event of all time. And it probably could have been if they just released it properly. And especially with the other different versions of this. And it just, it was a thing for like a minute. Like, and I mean, like, le- legitimately, like a minute, and then it wasn't. And, you know, you could pick them up like anywhere now, re- relatively cheap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they still come out. It's mm-hmm. it's like Hero Clicks. They still produce it. It's just, sure. you know, it's a small community at this point. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next up, we had episode 35. One of my favorite episodes that mm-hmm. you should go back and listen to Kemet versus Clades. <laughs> yeah. This one was a blast because. Some of us hated Cyclades, some of us <laughs> loved Cyclades, I don't mm-hmm. know, it, it turned into a nice, solid, legit argument that mm-hmm. had to be edited down for content <laughs> to make sure There's, it didn't- There
1: was blood everywhere, man, blood and yeah. sand everywhere.
0: <laughs> I just remember sitting down, because this is back when I used to edit the podcast, and I was like listening to it, I'm like, wow, we got really mad. <laughs> just, some of us really hate Cyclades.
1: It, both of the games are very good. Kemet and Cyclades, even though they're the same ilk and same background company, all that kind of fun stuff, they're fairly different in the gameplay. So, you know, again, since you've heard this all before, Kemet was just like action selection and you do things and you're on a small map and you mess each other up. And and then on the opposite side, Cyclades was very much an auction mechanic. And at the time, Cyclades, I think was kind of the bigger game and it came out first. So it had been around for quite some time. I remember purchasing the app that did not have an AI. So I was like, cool, I paid like $3 for this and I can't play this with anybody. <laughs> but I mean, it was a beautiful game and beautiful production and everything's great about the game. Uh, the The expansions obviously opened it up tremendously. So yes, yes, yes. Both great games. Uh Kemet has had its... Super-duper reprint. We we reviewed that recently. Unfortunately, I guess Cyclades has not. I mean, it got its Titans expansion, and it got a, a different version of it that's out there. So I guess legitimately it's still around, but obviously Kemik got all the money thrown at it recently. So, yeah, both great games.
0: Yeah. All uh, right, next up, we had Imperial Settlers 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the, the big, big release that year from Portal Games and Trevicek and... I fell in love with it immediately. Um, but I think part of the reason I fell in love with it immediately is that I played a lot of it by myself, had a really nice solo mode to it, and they really expanded mm-hmm. on that and added more content over time. Like, I have the big box now that they released. Mm-hmm. They call it a storage box, which is a dumb name, but I have that. <laughs> it's full. I have everything they ever released for that game. Uh, but I know when we played this for review, it took like four and a half hours. Mm. And did not go over as well with everybody for that life, For that reason. It's a drafting game and it's a tableau builder and there is some take that elements to it. And so mm-hmm. it can take a very long time with three or four people.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of take that, at least in that initial game. Because again, I think the other thing too is each race plays somewhat differently. So I think that's part of getting used to how those races play. I, I think it's fine. I, I never... It never fully won me over, but I liked it a lot. I did pick up the base game at some point. Uh never went far enough to pick up all the expansions, and now I, I guess with Empires of the North, yeah, is kind of like the new version of it, yeah, which is supposedly better, but I have not played that.
0: It is better, yeah. It's shorter. It's more streamlined. It doesn't take four hours with four people. So, <laughs> um, but I still have a soft spot for Imperial Settlers. It's and if you get all the stuff for it, it's super imbalanced. It's it just doesn't like with multiple people, I feel like I'm going to play the Atlanteans. I'm like, okay, well, then you're just going to win. That's <laughs> Let's have fun with that. <laughs> um, but it's still fun solo. So I still have it. And I still play it.
1: Excellent.
0: Uh, episode 38, we talked about among the stars, which mm-hmm. at the time, everybody was touting as the seven wonders replacement. Mm. And then I think we played it once and we're like, no, it's not. And we played it again. <laughs> and we're like, it's definitely not. Sure. So, this, was, this came from Stronghold, uh, mm-hmm. and I my copy of it did not come with the little green cubes you needed to actually play the game, because <laughs> Stronghold. So it got overcharged, didn't have all the components, that was fun. And it just, it I don't know, it just doesn't hold up. And like, there was the farming version that I also picked up at some point. Oh my god. I didn't really enjoy. Yeah. There's been expansions for both of those, didn't really enjoy them. It's like a game that I really want to like, and I keep coming mm-hmm. back to, and each time I play it, I'm like, still don't like it. Why do I keep trying to play this game?
1: Yeah. Again, it also had, I mean, obviously you're talking about Tableau, but it it had its own kind of like build, like you said, as you mentioned, like that was the space station kind of situation. I think what really let it down was the cards. Like when you play Seven Wonders, let me say it this way. when You play Seven Wonders, you have the first, second and third age, and they gear themselves up, which makes sense because right. As humanity grew, it, it learned new things. This one was like cool. Here's some really interesting, odd kind of neon artwork, so it doesn't really doesn't really um, have any ground to it. And yet, at the same time, you're getting the third age cards. At, at the same time, you're getting the first age cards. So that was always one of those weird things where it just it just didn't work. And that's kind of sad because it's been around for a while. Like, and it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. And Seven Wonders has had seven seven new versions of it since.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was not a Seven Wonders Killer. Spoiler. It, was not. Nope. it did not work. <laughs> uh, episode 39, we did it, a comparison of Takaido and Takenoko. Mm. Takenoko was relatively new at the time. Um, the, I don't know. I don't remember where we land on which one was better. I Mm-mm. personally have not played Takenoko that much. Oh, okay. I played both for the episode. Takaido goes fun. It's Light, it's breezy, it's quick, it's accessible. Takinoko, it's cute, it's fairly simple, it's easy to teach. I think neither of these is really game. It's a game that's really made it into my rotation, though.
1: Mm. I own both of these games. I like both of these games. Takido, I like a lot more. Just mm. it's a lot more streamlined. It's a lot easier to play with new players. It's you're just following down the road and making choices. And when they had its massive Kickstarter for their super expensive edition, I did pick that up. Unfortunately, the box is an odd square. This is one of the first kind of like super crazy overproduction kind of games. And it, I can't remember the price. I don't even want to say what the price is. <laughs> At least what I'm thinking. It was it was overpriced. And the box and everything inside is all white, but it's all painted. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love it. I'm glad to still own it. I've played the app a lot. I haven't gotten the game to the table in quite some time. But this is certainly something I would bring out in a rotation if... You know, we didn't have a lot of time, or if there was new players at the table, because I think it's just a lot of fun. The other side, Takanoko, is fine. I remember buying this game online, and I think it's the—I want to say it's one of the only games that was just—just just the box came damaged, and they wouldn't return it. I was just like, okay. And again, it looks a lot cute, but it's—it's it's a challenging game because you have to grow the bamboo, and the and the panda has to eat the bamboo, and there's a lot of dice rolling. So there's a lot of extra pieces to it that I think it was a little harder for a generic audience. Plus, there's a way to kind of break the game as far as pulling the cards are concerned. The expansion makes things better. And I think this was also the game that got the first Uber edition. I think tukanoko got the giant wooden box. It was like $300 with the giant pieces in it. I never picked that up. <laughs> <laughs> Never went that far with it, but it's it's a fine game. It's They're both fine games. I think Tokunoko, I think, will kind of hover on the outside of being like somewhat, you know, just outside of being like a regular rotation game. But I think Tokaido will always be somewhat of a modern classic just because it had its big production. Everyone loved it. It had multiple expansions. People loved it. And again, it's a, a simple entry level game. And it was that very quiet, scenic game that you could play without breaking your brain because it was just set collection.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, next up, we had Thunder Alley from GMT Games. This was the NASCAR game, mm-hmm. and it's been re-implemented and re-released in a bunch of different formats over the years. Uh, there's like the the version where it's like the future and you're destroying things, and it. But the Jeff Horger and Carlo Horger game from GMT games, Thunder Alley. It was probably one of the best racing games I ever played. And I liked it a lot and I was keen on keeping it. And then I realized I don't actually love racing games. Mm-hmm. And I don't play them that much. And at some point Flam Rouge came around. I'm like, well, I like that one. And I only, really <laughs> one. so uh, it was good. I gave it a really strong review. I remember because it was like a really good implementation of that because the mechanics were not so random. It wasn't mm-hmm. for the D, but it, uh, it faded for me pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. I don't remember too much about the game. I remember I thought it was a good game. I thought GMT did a good job of it. I never was going to be into NASCAR and that game kind of convinced me like, Oh no, this is pretty cool. Like that's great. But I never had any interest to come back around to this.
0: Sure. Uh, Dead of winter, a crossroads game episode 42. (laughs) This was the hottest of hottest games Ever at that point, like the yes. whole world revolved around Dead of Winter in 20 what is that, 14, 2014? Mm-hmm. Um I you you all finally dragged me to play it because I know Daniel was super hot on this. You mm-hmm. had played it and you're like, This is good. And I played it. And I'm like, I just I don't like zombies, I don't really like <laughs> games, but I really got into this, I really enjoyed it. Um and yet it's like Cthulhu for me, where no matter how much I enjoyed it and could say this was an amazing game, and I'll give it a high rating. I still don't really want to go back to it, and I don't own a copy of it. <laughs> so sure. I haven't played it in a while, except if I'm at a game group and it comes out and people are like, this is what we're playing, I will play it, but I don't own it.
1: Yeah, I played this multiple times. and never played the expansion. I know it was on our top listener list a bunch of years, in fact. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the idea that, like, even though it seemed like a th- zombie game is mostly a survival game, the challenge is, is that you have to have players that are savvy enough to kind of manage that whole trader element to it because everyone has a win condition that's slightly different. And then the trader is, is is like next level kind of stuff. Right. So thematically and story wise, I mean, I think this is another plat hat game. I think they did an amazing job with this game, but again, I think you needed a game group who could just handle that kind of complexity, but the characters are a lot of fun. You basically get a bunch of characters and they were all different and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I, I, I surprisingly never owned a copy of this. Like you said, I'm not a zombie guy as well, but this was the game that if I ever had to play a zombie game, it would be this game for sure.
0: Yep. All right. Next up, we have a game that would not be published in 2022 pandemic contagion.
1: <laughs>
0: this is a game in which you play the diseases trying to destroy humanity. Jeez uh, guys. Yeah, it's it's a short card based game. It's not designed by Matt Leacock. It's designed by Carrie Grayson, and I, I I'm pretty sure it was Drew who was very excited about playing this. Mm-hmm. We all played it with him, and it was actually mechanically it was perfectly fine. I do remember being mildly like, I don't love games where you kill everybody, mm. and then you know, fast forward six years, and you're like, yeah, no, that didn't age well. <laughs> so yeah, I will never play this game again. God, no.
1: I have a very faint memory of this game and being like, sure. I don't, no, 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 I don't know. No, not so much. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, episode 46 is when I checked out because <laughs> my daughter was about to be born. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and Drew, I believe, talked about Small World.
1: Uh, Small World is one of my favorite games of all time. It's a Days of Wonder game. It's had It seems like endless numbers of expansions that have come out since. And then most recently, it's had IP uh, reimplementations. So I think World of Warcraft got a version of it recently, and it remains one of my favorite games. I've I've oftentimes will just jump onto the app. The app is really great. I don't think there's a lot of people on it for like multiplayer competition, but the AI is very good on it. So uh, basically, it was a you know. Reimplementation of Vinci, which a game that I never played, almost picked up where the brilliance of it was, it was an area control game, love area control games, especially back in the day, but your race would get tired or worn out and go into the climb. You flip them over and pick a new race. That's so much fun because you get to play not just one asymmetrical race. You get to play multiple versions of it, but yet it was deterministic battles. You just had enough tokens and you could take over that spot. And it was quick and easy. It was fun. It was Days of Wonder, one of their best. It's for me, it's their best day, Days of Wonder game. I picked up the Kickstarter with the super expensive Crazy Edition. I don't regret it at all. Uh, that edition has not gotten table time because it's in a giant wooden box with no handles. So, yeah. <laughs> still love the game. It's still a great game, but nah, not so much.
0: Yeah. I, I still don't think I've ever played Small World somehow. Oh, man,
1: We'll get you there one day.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know why.
1: I'll break out the super giant wooden box. Oh, my God.
0: And then I'll never play it again because I'm like, well, if I can't play that one, well, I'm not
1: going right. to play it. right. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Episode 47. Uh, I think Daniel joined and you all talked about DC Comics deck building game versus Marvel Legendary. Mm. I, I still never played Marvel Legendary. Somehow oh I always <laughs> played this game. All I ever heard was negative things. I know the game is fine and I played Legendary Alien and Predator, but I mm-hmm. never played the original. But we played a lot of DC Comics deck building game. I love that game back in the day.
1: Yeah, so the DC deck builder, we used to call our uh, potato chip game. It was very simple. It was basically an Ascension kind of deck building game. So you had a market, uh, basically. And in this game, you basically only had, I believe it was one or two kind of currency. So like money to purchase thing or knocking people out. or, And what was weird about the DC one was like, you added the cards to your deck, so here you're a Batman, but now Joker is on your team for some strange reason. But it did thematically somewhat kind of play through because, like, if you got Batman's equipment, it gave Batman plus powers. The Marvel Legendary was legendary at our game store because so many people purchased it and then sleeved it, and it was just insane number of cards to sleeve. The challenge of that game was that depending on the hero selection, the villain selection, and the other variable kind of setups, you either stomp that game within, you know, whatever short amounts of time, or you got stomped and there was nothing you could do because again, combinations. So it's fine. You're basically building up like a little Marvel, you know, Agents of Shield strike team, and then you do the thing, you fight the bad guy. But it had so many cards to it. It had a lot of expansions to it. It's good. It's not that it's bad. It's just Again, it's just variable. Like when you're walking in, somehow the game's already against you or you're going to win the game. And that's kind of weird, but yes. And it also had one of those mechanics where it's a co-op game, but you can win more. (laughs) So like you could be the winner winner, which was always like a weird kind of game condition.
0: I I hate that. (laughs) Yes. Like go all in or don't bother. That's right. All right. And then the... Last episode that we will cover here. um, And this is where you took over editing duties on top of everything else.
1: Yes. I'm so sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I was learning. I was young. (laughs) This
0: was, uh, you and Drew went through a bunch of games, but the feature game on that episode, episode 48 was La
1: Isla. Mm -hmm. This was another Stefan Feld game. It was a small, I wouldn't say small, but it was a smaller box game. And it was about taking pictures of wildlife And it was fine. It was a fine game. I own it. I still own it to this day. Somehow, I ended up with a second copy at some point. I don't know what happened to that second copy. I think I went to a charity somewhere. It's a fine little Euro game. And it's Stefan Feld. And it's that production of the time. So I'd recommend playing it. But again, this has certainly been forgotten. I wonder if it will get his city version update.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to go through. I don't know if that one's high on the list.
1: No, not so much.
0: All right. That's the first 50 episodes, everybody. There All you the go, people. Reviews.
1: We did a thing because you wanted it, and we gave it to you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely check back on those first 50 episodes. Obviously, this was nine years ago, so forgive us a little bit on the audio and editing as time went on, but obviously, the content is still great. We did play those games multiple times, review them like with extreme detail, and it's also fun to listen back and hear how we sound back then versus how we sound today yeah all right everyone this is everything for this week until next time this is chris
0: and anthony
1: and we'll save you all a seat at the table 50 times in the past <laughs> and today <laughs> I'll take it